Well, today we are in part three of our series called Spiritual Growth Continuum. What we're doing in this series is simply talk about how we are all supposed to grow continually, spiritually. We are called to, to grow closer to Jesus every single day. And if we're still living, then we still have room to grow. So what we've done so far is, is we've started by talking about how all of us begin in the explore stage. We are all looking and seeking answers. We're asking these questions about does God exist and who is Jesus, but our hearts are being pulled to God. Why? Because we were created to worship him. We were made in the image of God. And so before we come to know Jesus, we invest or we spend our lives really worshiping something. We worship maybe our job or relationship, but God has called us to worship him. And so when we finally get to know him and we trust in him as Lord and Savior, it's like coming home. It's becoming who God has created us to be. And when we do that, we become believers. We don't just know, but we believe. We give our lives over. It's the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. We get to know and love and have a relationship with the God of the universe. And so we believe. And then we move into this step of disciples. And we talk about discipleship because Jesus didn't call us only to be believers. He called us to be disciples. As you read God's word, if you, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and where they're talking about what Jesus did on this earth, he didn't just call people to believe that he existed or to believe in him. He called people to give their lives up and to follow him as his disciples. And so we'll focus on that today. And then next week, we'll conclude the series by talking about being spirit-led people. But as we're looking at disciples, I want to look at Jesus and his marching orders. Before he went up to heaven to, to be with his father, after he resurrected from the dead, he gave his disciples some marching orders. What to do once he goes up to heaven? What to do with the power of the Holy Spirit on this planet? This is what he said. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, again, alluding to that, the fact that he is God. He said, I'm going to still be with you because the Holy Spirit's going to come, a part of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's going to guide you. And through that, Jesus is going to be with us. He dwells in us. And so the call was to go and make more disciples. And this happened. The early disciples, they had this small group, and by the end of the first century, so you talk about maybe 66 years or so, about 7,500 Christians were around. Disciples, because these disciples were living out what Jesus called them to do. And people are still becoming disciples of Jesus all around the world today. In fact, I have a video for you that I, I want to show you this morning. A couple months ago, a friend of mine, Jared Lenhart, a missionary to Southeast Asia, talked to New Life students about missions, and he shared a couple stories that I really, really love. So we're going we're gonna to watch the first half of his, his, uh, his time with us right now, and then we'll talk about it. We'll go to the second half. But would you please bring your attention to the screen for Jared Lenhart? Hi there, my name is Jared Lenhart, and I work for a ministry called Frontier Harvest Ministries with my family. And a long time ago, growing up, I grew up in China, and my mom and dad, they were, they were missionaries there, creating a network, and just getting into the, into the mission field, learning the language. And one thing my dad did was he read the Word, and he saw how Jesus did it. What did Jesus do to bring disciples out? 
How did he get his disciples? And Jesus went to his disciples and he brought them out. He brought them to him and they followed him. And they went with him and they saw how he, how he did his ministry. And after Jesus was gone, they were able to also do what they saw Jesus did. And as they were following Jesus, Jesus let them baptize people. Jesus, Jesus didn't even baptize people. He's the one that let them baptize people. So my dad got this, my mom and dad got this revelation about how to disciple people. And I remember as a kid, we'd go on mission trips. You know, we'd go out and pack our Jeep up and go out for a couple weeks at a time, maybe a month at a time and just stay in random villages, meet random people. They just, because in the villages, you could just live in people's houses. You know, you show up as a foreigner, they're really open and real, uh, like hospitable. So we'd stay there, preach the gospel, show the v Jesus film. And when I was a little kid, I didn't know what was going on. You know, we'd go there and uh, I'd be running around in the village with my little brother, shooting our BB guns and shooting the little farm animals, playing with the village kids. But my parents would be praying for people, preaching the gospel, and just trying to bring people back home to our house. And I remember every time we left, there was nobody in the car. I would have a nice seat in the back and I would be comfortable, you know, with my blanket, my pillow. And coming home, there'd be like three new guys in the car. And I'd be like, who are these guys? You know, I'm, that was my seat. Now I gotta, me and my little brother gotta sit all the way in the back of the car jammed with all the luggage, you know? And I, I just thought these were my dad's friends that he knew in the village that he was just bringing back to visit for a while. But it, as I grew older, I found out that these were men that he was bringing back to disciple and send them back and then bring and then a couple months later tell them to bring their buddies back and just keep keep this process going it's like a it's like a draft you know an nfl draft bringing in a bunch of guys bring in a hundred guys and then finding out who the right ones are to, to rise up and take over the the ministry where you are at to teach others to teach but you got to bring people out you got to give them the opportunity to be able to do these things I love Jared and his heart, his family, and their desire to make disciples. It was so nice that he was willing to come and, and hang out with us and to make that video. In, in Thailand right now, they have a friend who they have been pouring their life into, and now they're in America getting treatment for uh, Jared's brother who is going through some medical issues, and they have this, this brother in Thailand who they're still Zooming with to, to be able to help disciple him so he can go out and make more disciples. It's this calling on their lives, but it's the calling that Jesus gave us. All of us, if we believe in Jesus, he said, be my disciple and then go and make more disciples. And so as we're talking about this idea of disciples, let's really define what does it mean to be a disciple? Or a disciple is a, really a Jewish word and it meant someone who followed a rabbi. A rabbi is a Jewish religious leader. And when I say followed, because that's what the disciple did, it was really a call to imitation. They were supposed to imitate their rabbi. And those are different words, right? So we can follow a, someone that's driving a car. We can drive a car behind theirs and we can get to the same place they're going. But in no way are we trying to be exactly like that car. We're just trying to get to the same spot. But when we imitate, we want to be like them. The best example I can give is with my boys. I have a five-year-old boy, three-year-old boy, and a three-month-old, and my five-year-old Ezra is always copied by my three-year-old Joel. And everything that Ezra does, Joel wants to do as well. He wants to be his brother, even so much so as that when we're at the dinner table 
And Rachel, my wife, brings over a plate of food. She puts it in front of both of them. And Joel was looking at Ezra for the response to have. Ezra looks down and goes, I like this. And Joel goes, I like this too. And then there's times where Rachel puts something down and Ezra goes, oh, yuck. And Joel says, oh, yuck, I don't want this. And perfectly, they'll walk out of that. But right now, Joel wants to imitate his brother. And that's what Jesus calls us to do with him because that's what disciples did with their rabbis. And this was a position of honor really in the Jewish society. It was a prestigious thing to do, to be a disciple, because only a couple people got to be chosen by a rabbi to be a disciple. And every young Jewish boy would want to fill this role, or most of them would. You see, what would happen in the Jewish culture is when you were born, for the first 10 years of your life, you would train to go into testing to become a disciple. In the first 10 years of your life, you were required to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. At age 10, you were then tested on how much you've retained and memorized and how much you could recite. After that, the best of the best would go on to five more years of schooling. In those five years, you would go and memorize the rest of the Old Testament, which is a lot of text. And then at age 15, you were able to go and find a rabbi and request to become one of their disciples. But you didn't just be able to to become a disciple on your own volition. You had to go request to be tested and a rabbi would test you. They would really grill you on everything you knew about God's word on the Bible. It would walk you through and, and test you on that and test you on how much you love God and how much you can do the same things that the rabbi did. Can you imitate them in every single way and live like them? And from that grouping of people, they would choose one or two of the best of the best to become their disciples. And if you weren't chosen, you were then sent out to do the work of your human father. So maybe that's fishing or carpentry or whatever it is, you would go and do that. But if you made it, you made the cut, you left everything, your whole entire life, your possession, your dreams of another job, your family, your friends, and you followed that rabbi wherever they went. You imitated them with the goal to be just like them so that when you turn 30, you could become a rabbi yourself if you were a good enough disciple, talking the way they talked, believing the way they believed, doing what they did. There was even this saying that helps people know how good a disciple was. They'd say, you could tell a disciple was a good disciple by how much dirt was on their robes. And scholars believe that that meant one of two things. It either meant that a disciple invested so much time listening to their rabbis, and you think a rabbi always sat when they taught. And so if you were going to sit, you wouldn't, well, you wouldn't stand. You would maybe not even sit at their level. You would probably kneel or you'd sit on the dirt floor and listen. And when you did that, you would have your robes all dirtied up. The other potential answer for that saying is that a disciple would walk so closely behind their rabbis. I don't know if you've ever had someone do that. It's kind of annoying, like they're stepping on the back of your shoes. But your disciple would walk so close because they wanted to be just like the rabbi. They wanted to be so close and following him that when that rabbi kicked up dirt, it would get on the robe of the disciple. So either way, what it's trying to say is that this disciple imitated and followed closely Their rabbi, they paid attention, they learned, and they lived just like that rabbi. Now, as I learn about disciples, there is this urge to get discouraged because I look at my life and Jesus calls us to be his disciple, but I know full well that I would not make the cut 
of one of the best of the best of these young men. At age 10, I definitely didn't have the first five books of the Bible memorized. I don't know if I knew a verse. Maybe I knew of John 3.16 because Stone Cold Steve Austin, some of you might get that. And then at age 15, I definitely, maybe I knew uh, John 3.16, the whole thing, not just because of that, because I started to go to youth group from there. But I didn't have a lot memorized. I had no idea. And now I'm 36, so at 30, you'd become a rabbi. But I still look at my life and go, there's some days where I just go, come on, why am I messing up over and over? I want to look like Jesus, but I'm falling short. You might feel the same way too, that we are broken individuals. No matter how much we try, if we're supposed to imitate Jesus, and that is the call, we're not yet there. But thanks be to God that Jesus was and still is a different kind of rabbi. He doesn't call people on what we have done. He calls people on what he did. And while he was on this earth, he called people on what he was about to do. So we're going to look at how Jesus called some of his early disciples. And you're going to notice that it's going to be a little different than how a normal rabbi would collect disciples. The disciples aren't going to go to Jesus and then be questioned. Jesus is simply going to go and ask some people to follow him. Matthew 4, 18 through 22 records this account. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Peter, James, Andrew, John were not currently disciples of a rabbi. We can see that. They were actually doing the work of their father. They were fishing or they were repairing nets. And Jesus went and called them. He didn't say, all right, you're the best of the best. Come follow me. He said, I want you to follow me. Leave everything behind and follow me. Which again, was a normal practice of a rabbi to say, leave everything behind. So they wanting to be a disciple of a rabbi, a special rabbi. Jesus, who spoke unlike any other rabbi, he spoke with authority. And then people saw that he was different. They noticed it. They swarmed to him. They wanted to hear from him. So these disciples left everything to follow Jesus. But it's amazing that Jesus called these ordinary guys. And it's awesome that God still does that today. That all throughout God's word, he called ordinary people to do his extraordinary work, and he calls us the same way. You and I, although we aren't perfect, though we haven't gotten it all right, he still calls you and I and says, I want to use, he wants to use us for his kingdom purpose, to show us his glory, to help bring people to him. He calls us to be his disciples as well. No matter where we're from or what we've done, he's, gonna, he's willing to forgive us our sins and bring us into relationship with him. The second video I want to show you uh, from Jer, the last video we have today, is a story of a specific disciple that they found and they trained up. And let's just go and hear what Jared has to say. Not long ago in 2016 or 2014, we met a brother, his name's Robin. And that's just his, uh, his English name. He's a Chinese brother. I was living in China at the time. And he was a drug dealer, you know, dealing marijuana, dealing all kinds of pills. He was a DJ in a big city called Chengdu. And uh, I ended up meeting him as a friend. You know, we had a, a mutual friends. We'd go out together, hang out. And I ended up meeting Robin. And I went to his house. I said, man, you got to meet my dad, man. Because wherever we go, like, we want to just let people know about Jesus. We make friends with you. We come down to your level. But at the end of the day, you're going to get Jesus in your face no matter what. And I remember bringing my dad to Robin's house and just talking to him about God. 
you know, Jesus, uh, Robin was like, you know, I don't believe in, I don't know if I believe in God, but I believe we come from outer space and we're aliens. And in China, everybody believed, they're all atheists. They believe in, not all of them, but they believe that we're, we come from a little fish that turned into a monkey and then we turn into humans. It's like, I'm not an atheist or I'm not a, I don't believe in evolution and all that kind of stuff. But I do believe somebody created us and we're like, all right, that's good. At least you believe that, you know? And then we just gave him the gospel. And I remember before we left his house, my dad left him some money because he was not in a good situation. And he was like, he was, he told us, why did he leave me money? You know, because it's like in Chinese culture in a lot of cultures, it's like you scratch my back, I scratch your back. So he thought maybe like, okay, this old uncle's giving me some money because later on he wants, he wants me to help his son or something like that, you know? But it was, there was no strings attached. We just wanted to help him because we saw he had a need. You know, he lived in a little apartment. He was barely getting by. We just wanted to help him out. And we just left after that. And it ended up Robin went to jail for one year after that. And I didn't, I didn't know where he went. He just fell off the face of the earth. And he came out of jail a year later, contacted me. And was like, Jared, everything you guys told me in my house that day, we cried together talking about Jesus. And he said he remembered everything that we told him about Jesus in this new life. And he said he wanted to be baptized. He said, everything you said while I was in jail, that's all I could think of and chew on the whole time I was there. Because I knew my life was just a waste. I wasted my whole life. And when I come out, I wanted to become a new person. And we gave him an opportunity, you know. He, he, he made a lot of mistakes and we still stuck by with him and taught him. And, and we didn't throw him out, you know. We showed him God's love. And today, he's been serving with me and my team in Myanmar for the past like six years now. He's been a great brother and a leader now, but it's just giving people the opportunity to be able to do the work after you've done it. You know, you, you hand it over to people and watch them do it and see how they do it and give them the opportunity. And when they fall down, you pick them back up and you push them forward to do it even more. And they take on the people behind that person. The network behind those people is even greater than what we could do alone. And we join together and make a team. And that's how you make disciples. You gotta give your life, put it into someone else's. But I hope that really blesses you. God bless everybody today. I was really appreciative of Jared investing some time with us. I got to meet Robin in Vietnam. I, well, really, Jared and his whole team. And then when we, we brought his team of New Life students to Myanmar, we got to meet Robin there and, and Jared and his, his whole family. And I just thought, what an amazing story. That Robin, I love how he said it failed, and then they picked him back up and sent him out. And this is what Jesus did. He did it with the disciples. We can see that in his word, but he does it with us as well. And every time he picks us up, he says, all right, now follow me. Imitate me. Be like me. In the book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis distilled what Christianity is down to like a sentence. And I love how C.S. Lewis was able to do this. He said, every Christian is to become a little Christ, a little Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. That's it. If we want to think about what we're here for, why were we created? We were created in the image of the one true God and we were created to be like him, to be like Jesus. We were created in God's image. He says, I want to come into your life, take away all the old and make you into who you were created to be, the image of the one true God. And so as we talk about disciples today, let's sum up the other couple weeks as well. You see, explorers, while they're searching for Jesus, believers trust in Jesus 
and disciples imitate Jesus. That's the calling on our lives. And that last part is our take-home point. The one point that this message is all about, what we've been driving towards and we're going to continue talking about and how to apply it to our lives. Our take-home point is disciples imitate Jesus. Jesus. A disciple simply imitate Jesus. We want to be like him. And on this earth, Jesus taught us how to do so. He gave us some very clear instructions, none maybe greater than the Sermon on the Mount, which we just had a long series about. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to check that out as well. But there's other times where people would come to Jesus and ask how to live, and he would respond. And there is one instance which I want to share with you today. There's a young man who came and Question Jesus about following him. And as we read this, we don't know all the details about this young man, but, but as we know a little bit more now about Jewish culture, you could assume he might be around 15, and we know that he's young. And he goes to talk to this rabbi about potentially following him. So th- this might be an occasion where someone is engaging in this request to follow a rabbi. And it kind of plays out that way as well. So I'm not 100% sure that it is. But what we do know is this young man is asking Jesus how to live and how to be like him. And eventually, Jesus calls him to follow him and gives us some insight on how we are to follow Jesus. So this is what happens, and it's recorded in Matthew, and Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked, and Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely on your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? So he's having this conversation with Jesus, and it kind of has this formal feel to it, but when Jesus is talking to him about these commandments, the young man said, well, I know those. I've learned them, I've memorized them, perhaps, and, and I've not... I've not committed these sins. I've refrained from sin. Now, what is next? And again, you kind of have this feeling, okay, I, I believe, but now how do I go a step further? And we're asking, how do we become disciples today? And this is what Jesus responded with. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, again, Jesus is perfect. So if we're following Jesus, imitating him, we're imitating perfection. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, in this response, Jesus wasn't saying that he hates everyone that has money. He's not calling all of us right now to give all of our stuff away to the poor. Now, he might be calling some of us to do that. But what he's getting to the heart of in this situation is this young man wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to be one of his disciples. And could you imagine that? We'd probably know his name by now. But instead of following him, he went away sad. Why? Because he wasn't willing to part with his stuff. And on the surface, this is a radical claim. Give, get rid of all your stuff. But a rabbi would always call a disciple to get rid of their stuff to come follow him. And this guy was not willing to do so. His identity was wrapped up in his possessions and his things and his money. It wasn't all wrapped up in God. And so we got to ask ourselves, What is our identity wrapped up in? If you ask a friend or a neighbor or family member about yourself and they use a couple words to describe you, how would they describe your identity? Would Jesus be a part of that? Would he be the thing, the main thing that they talk about? Listen, God doesn't want our lives to be defined by our jobs, wealth, sexuality, or anything else. He created us to find our identity as an image bearer of the one true God because that's who we were designed to be. 
That's who our identity is meant to be lived out as. And so as a disciple, we don't go around asking questions like, well, what makes me the happiest or what do I want or what do I feel like doing today? Instead, a disciple as rabbi, where are we going? What do you want me to do? What would you say in this situation? How do you live? And when we understand those answers, we can fully imitate the good rabbi, Jesus. You see, a disciple submits their personal preferences and ideas to God's revealed will in Jesus Christ. And God has revealed Jesus to us. He's revealed himself to us through his word. And so our personal preferences are meant to be pushed aside so that we can follow God in the image of Jesus. And that is what a disciple does. And so if we're wondering, okay, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we practically live this out? Well, in the Jewish community, they had a verse that they really held sacred. It's Deuteronomy 6.5, and it gives us some insight in following, imitating Jesus. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength with everything. This is what Jesus did. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. And that's why they're saying with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, because the writer is getting at this idea of give everything to God. And when we do that, our goal no longer becomes, how do I get to the the truest sense of me? Because the goal isn't to become the best Alex I can be. The goal is to get Alex out of the way so that I can be like Jesus. And that's the calling for all of us. We are to be the image of God. We're his image bearers. So how do we do that? How do we live out this, this loving God? Well, we got to ask ourselves a couple questions. Now, when I was at a retreat a couple years ago at, at Rebloom Retreat, which is a, one of our New Life Students events, and it's a wonderful retreat at Seneca Hills, when we were there a couple years ago, a speaker, Ryan Paskey, talked on Deuteronomy 6.5, and he said that that verse requires us to answer a couple questions about ourselves. The first question is this. Is Jesus important to you? Is he important to us? Is he one of many things that are important to us? I don't know what's important to you. Maybe your morning routine, the coffee that you get in the morning, your phone's important to you, your job's important to you, your car's important to you. Is is he one of many, one of those things that is important? Or is Jesus the most important thing to you? Is he one of a few? You got your family your job, maybe your country, and your relationship with God. Maybe it's one. It's on that top tier of importance. Is he one of a few instead of one of many? Is he the most important thing? Or is Jesus the only important thing? Does he stand alone in importance? Is he the top, the upper echelon of importance? Is Jesus and then everything else, our family, our wealth, our friends, our hobbies, everything is below that. And that's what he calls us to do, to have him as the only important thing, to not hold anything back, to reserve anything of our lives for any kind of counterfeit or false God. We're not called to say, all right, God, I'm going to follow you with most things, but I'm just going to keep this hobby over here. I'm going to keep this relationship with me for a while or this temptation. It could be a sinful thing. It could not be. But when it's held back from God, it becomes a sinful thing. So God's called us to give all of that to him. And when we do, when we give everything, we really get the full blessing of being a part of God's family. You see, when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are entered into his family. He adopts us into his family And then he invites us to join him in his activity and his work on this earth. And when we have him as the only important thing, we get to join him in that activity and experience the full blessing of being a part of his family. 
Henry Blackaby in the book Experiencing God talked about it this way. He said, when you become a Christian, you are immediately adopted as a child of the heavenly king. The king's business became your business. And now as your savior and Lord, Christ wants to bring your life into the middle of his activity, which offers salvation to every person on earth. He's called us to follow him. He's given us this choice. Do we follow him or do we follow ourselves? He's given us this choice. Do we want to be about the temporary, strive in our lives to be about stuff that whenever this world's done, it's not going to matter? Or are we going to be about the eternal, having an impact on things that reverberate forever, that have an impact for the, the rest of forever? He's called us to be a part of the same work that Jesus was a part of on this earth. We look at Jesus in his life, and he fully understood God's will. He was following God's will, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was able to do miraculous things to bring people into the kingdom of God, to help the hurting and the lost to come home to God. And the disciples, whenever they were sent out by Jesus, when they went and they did go, they did the same thing. We read about it in the book of Acts, how there is these amazing things that, that happened because they were following God's will and full of the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God came and people were living in his glory, supernatural nature. And those who were lost came home to God. And he asked us to be about the same work. He's invited you and I to follow him. So what will our answer be? He's asked us to follow him. Triple E puts the question this way. He's a writer of the book, Rise. It says, there are really only two ways to respond to Jesus. You can deny yourself and follow him, or you can deny him and follow yourself. Who do you think is the better leader? It's a good question. Better leader is God. And so there is two questions there. Do we deny ourselves and follow him or deny him and follow ourselves? There's no in-between what do we want to do? Well, if we want to be his disciple, we want to live into that blessing as part of his family members, joining his activity, imitating him, following him, we can do that in a couple different ways. The first thing we got to focus on, we already read it today, but we got to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Jewish people, again, they focused on this. Why? Because it's that important. And Jesus responded to someone who once asked, what is the greatest commandment with that verse? But then he added something to that. It's recorded his reply in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he said, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we are to love people like Jesus loved people who was scorned and who was beaten and crucified for you and I, for those that are still sinners who weren't the best of the best, he's called us to do the same thing, to sacrificially love people in our lives. So we love God. We love other people. What else do we do if we want to be his disciples? Well, we listen and talk to God constantly. The disciples got to do that with Jesus for three years. They listened and they talked to him. They walked this earth with him. But because God is good and the Holy Spirit dwells with all who believe in Jesus, we get the blessing of talking and listening to God even more often than three years. We get to invest the rest of our lives with him. Every single day, we can talk to God. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Another translation says, pray constantly or pray without ceasing. We can constantly have a regular dialogue with God all day. 
We can talk to God every single moment of the day. We can wake up and talk to God. And we can speak with him throughout the day. We can have a running dialogue with God all day long. At night, we can go to sleep saying, all right, God, thank you for the day. Help me out tomorrow. In the middle of the night when we wake up, we can talk to him again. So let's invest time listening and talking to God while we're also loving him and loving others. And the last thing that we can do is we can go public with our faith. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He said to go into the world and share the good news of Jesus. And they went and he's called us to do likewise, to go, to take what we believe and share it with other people. Let's go back to that Deuteronomy verse because right after it talks about loving God, it gives us some instructions on how to live. It says this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What it's talking about is it must be obvious to other people that we follow Jesus. It should be. If we're giving our lives to Jesus, it's saying, tell your kids, tell them again. When you're walking, talk about God. Make it evident. People should be able to see in our lives that we follow Jesus. When they identify us as something, Jesus must be a part of that if we're his disciple. If we are really following him, when people talk about us, they must go, yeah, that person followed Jesus. Whether they agree with our stance or not, God's saying that if we really love him, other people will know. Why? So that other people can come to know Jesus. That's the whole point of our lives then as disciples, to follow Jesus and to help other people get to know him. Pastor Barry and I were talking this week about how this idea shapes everything that we get to do. And so it makes everything more meaningful, our jobs, our hobbies, our relationships, because in those relationships, we're not just going to do a thing, we're going to show Jesus. So for instance, I get to to play board games with some non-Christian friends, I I love that. Before I thought about it as an opportunity to show Jesus, it was fine, I played games, I really wanted to win. Uh, Now I go with this mission, that I want them to know about Jesus through me. So they know I'm a Christian and I know they're watching. And so I make sure that when I'm going, I pray, And then when I'm there, that I'm responding well. So the other night when I lost five games in a row, which was tough, and I like wanted to flip the table, I was like, all right, all right, how would Jesus respond to this? He wouldn't care about these games. Uh, So so I was able to to show Jesus in that way. But also practical things, like whenever I hear a friend is sick, I go, all right, I'm going to pray for him. And then I'm going to follow up later to, to let them know I care. Because sharing the good news of Jesus starts always with forming relationships. It's about relationships. It's about showing people the love of Jesus through these relationships. Gary Poole, a writer, distilled what it means to go and tell people about Jesus or how we can go and tell people about Jesus into a couple simple steps. He says, first, we just develop relationships. We develop friendships. We actually care for people. We care for people as Jesus cared for us. And that's authentically, and that's also sacrificially. We care for people for real. So we develop these friendships And then we discover stories. We ask them about their life. We don't just talk at people, mind you. We we listen and we get to know them. And then when something comes up, we follow up with them. We we make sure that we remember some stuff because as we're hearing their stories and we care for them, they're going to get more interested in our stories. And we can share the story of Jesus. We can share the story of what he's done in our life as well because we're in a friendship, in a relationship. And then after that, we discern next steps. And we get to discern next steps not by ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
who is willing to guide us, a part of the Trinity. God himself is with us. And he wants to walk through this life with you and I. And so a next step might be going to the lost person in your life, which we refer to as the one, and simply inviting them to something. Hey, why don't you go? You could be at a church, but it could simply be, hey, let's go to Mango on Main together. And through that, you can use that as an opportunity to show them Jesus. It could be the Holy Spirit saying, pray for them right now in public. Pray for them. Put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, you're going through something hard. You're not feeling well. Let's pray for you right now. It could be to invite them or just to ask them about church. That's a great way to just start that conversation. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? And they say, no. You can just simply go, why not? It brings you into that conversation. Or it might be to lead them to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Every week here, we, we end the message by talking about the ABCs a simple way to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And one of the reasons why we do that is to help you know the ABCs. So if you're ever in a situation where someone is crying out for Jesus, they say, I just don't know how to come to him, you could bring him to us, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit might prompt you to lead them and pray with them because you have that relationship. They trust you. They, they, they want to talk to you about that. So we can follow the Holy Spirit and we can love people. Because we're called as disciples to first love God and to love others. And we're called to, to speak with him. We get to talk and listen to him all day long. And then we can go public with our faith. And by doing that, we're going to imitate Jesus. And practically, we can live that out through today's next step, which says, I will do something selfless every day this week to imitate Jesus. Every day, do something selfless. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. He sacrificed for others. It doesn't have to be huge things, holding the door or paying for someone going through a hard time at the grocery store or at the coffee shop or something. Praying for someone, being willing to just be there and listen to someone's story. Let's sacrifice for others around us. In doing so, show people Jesus. Because ultimately, he came for you and I and for everyone else out there as well. So that people, us included, can know him as Lord and Savior. So we can come into relationship with him. So we can be those image bearers that we were created to be. And we can walk in relationship with God and join him in his activity to draw people to salvation, to help the hurting and the lost. What Jesus did, we get to be a part of. So let's do that as his disciples this week. If you're here today and you aren't Jesus' disciple, and you're not actually a believer of him, but you want to know how to come to know him to have the king of the, the universe dwell with you, to take away your old self, to make you new today, to forgive you of those sins and welcome you into relationship with God. Well, we say it's as simple as A, B, C. We just reference them, but A simply means we admit. We start by admitting who he is and who we are, that we're sinners, that we fall short, that we're not perfect, but he is. He is the God of the universe and Jesus, his one and only son, came, died, rose again for you and I. We believe, we believe in Jesus as Lord, our master, owner, God, and rescuer from sin and death, our Savior. And then we confess, confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, confess our sins, and commit to living this life with the Holy Spirit. So right now, we're going to have an opportunity. If you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior before, I'd encourage you, as we pray, to pray with me. I'm going to be praying as if I were you, and I'd encourage you to lift up your, your hearts and your, your minds, your voice if you want to, to the God of the universe who's here right now, to make it your own and to talk to him who's present and wants to speak with you. I know that there's, there's some here that maybe have gone to church before, but have never given their lives over to Jesus. Make that decision today to truly follow him in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe that you, God, are the one true God. 
And Jesus died and rose again for me, your one true son. Please forgive me of my sins today and make me a new creation. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Guide me every day. Bring me into your family and help me join you in your work. Pray that from this moment on, I'll never be the same. Pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, for all of us, I pray that we'll never be the same. That you help us to continue to grow, to be like you. God, we know that you still do miraculous works around this world because you're still moving, you're still active, you're still here. And I pray that you'll guide us more and more into your presence every single day. Thank you for what you're doing, what you've done right now, and what you're gonna do next. Pray this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen.